Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Hello, welcome to part two of The Last, the last Wish. Uh, part one ended up being quite long, so we have split the book um the first three uh the first three short stories we discussed in the last episode this one will feature the uh last four short stories in the last wish by andre sapkowski which is the first book in the witcher series so here we go the next short story is a question of price again we have Geralt. we have clampe she's the queen she is trying to marry her daughter, Pavetta, off. And then we have Ertron of Arenwald. He is a cursed man and he comes to claim Pavetta. Okay. So in this story, Geralt has been hired for what purpose he is not entirely sure to attend a dinner held by Queen Calante of Sintra, where suitors will vie for the hand of her daughter, Princess Pavetta. Though he has given little information about his reason for attending, and is given an alternate identity, he is seated at the head table next to the queen. Her intentions soon become clear, though. She means to buy his services to have him kill someone who may potentially mess up her plans to form an alliance with Skellig. Geralt claims that witchers are not hired killers, and he denies her request. After talking some with Kalante, um, she declares that her daughter must marry the right person, and an alliance with Skellig must be formed that night. However Geralt can make that happen, that's what has to happen. And so Pavetta is presented to the crowd of suitors when the night is interrupted by a mysterious knight who refuses to remove his armor. His name is Lord Urchion of Erlenwald, and 15 years ago, Kalante's dead husband made a deal with him when Urchion saved his life. He offered the law of surprise, and according to this, Pavetta's hand in marriage is now his. Calante is rightfully pissed off and refuses it initially. The other suitors are also pissed off, and Calante orders the knight to be attacked. Pavetta is deeply upset by this and draws on the force, which is a magical power source, and unleashes what is basically a cyclone in the building. And so the question becomes, will Geralt be able to get this situation under control and fulfill the things that Kalante has deemed are necessary for him to be successful this night? So this story is the basis for episode four of season one of the TV show. Uh, so I enjoyed this one. I was trying, so after those last couple of stories being very obvious fairy tales I was trying to figure out what fairy tale this was and they reference reference Stiltskin, but it also gave me like Maleficent vibes mm-hmm. but mostly it reminded me of the polar bear king which oh, I think I've told you about it before it was this weird movie that I have no idea how my mom got her hands on it when I was a kid but it's essentially like this guy shows up and is like hey she's mine um takes her and every night he 
turns into a man. Um, but it has the whole like by day he's a man, by night he's a monster sort of thing. Except he's not a monster, he's a polar bear. Hmm. So anyway, so really, I mean, it gave me most polar bear king vibes. Um, and that is based off of a Norwegian fairy tale. Interesting. I could see the rumple still skin thing. I could also kind of get um a little bit of uh the swan princess thing again, except it's not the princess that's the swan, it's Lord Urchion. His name is Dooney. His name is Dooney. Um because he is a hedgehog by day, and from the hours of like 12 to 6 at night, he's a, a man. So we have this transformation thing too except he's not like he's a hedgehog man though he's not just like a tiny little hedgehog it's like a man with hedgehog features which sounds weird how great would it be if like your man would just turn into a little hedgehog for most of this (laughs) (laughs) like a cute cuddly little hedgehog except for six hours how funny would that be (laughs) yeah I mean, there would be the obvious danger of losing him or accidentally stepping on him or something like that. But tiny little hedgehog man and <laughs> tiny little armor. His armor is described as being like a spiky, like a muzzle type thing on his face. Like just a tiny little hedgehog with a sword. How cute would it be? <laughs> Roll it up in a ball and stick it in your pocket. <laughs> this is just my husband. <laughs> Sorry, he needs a snack. <laughs> Little food pellets out of your other pocket. There you go. I'm just, just going to scratch his belly while we're having this conversation. <laughs> I think hedgehog. that would be way better than having hedgehog man. <laughs> so for me, the most surprising thing in this is that towards the end, um, Geralt asks, he puts the law of surprise into effect for himself mm-hmm. and says, what exactly is it? I'll have what you don't know you have. Shoot. I can't remember yeah. exactly what the wording is. Um, but so it turns out Pavetta is pregnant and he's basically now like laid claim to this child and we'll be back in six years and I was just like what totally unexpected to me just did not see yeah that coming yeah so let me see if I can find the section um he says in order to become a witcher you have to be born in the shadow of destiny and very few are born like that Mm-hmm. Um, so he says, uh, you will give me that which you already have, but do not know. I'll return to Sintra in six years to see if destiny has been kind to me. That's right. Um, yeah. So I also found it kind of surprising too, because in the, in the TV show, so this happens a little bit differently in the TV show in the book, it sounds like he wants this child. Mm-hmm. In the TV show, he's very uh, flippant about Dooney's request to try to pay him back for saving his life and help him. So he's like, 
in the show, he's like, well, I'll do what you did and I'll claim the law of surprise. Give me that which you have, but do not know about it. And then everyone's like, oh no, because Pavetta immediately vomits. And they're like, oh gosh. <laughs> he, so what he's, are we cussing in this episode? Sure. Okay. So in the TV show, Pavetta immediately vomits and Geralt's like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> And he just so in the show, it's not like he's wanting this child, but it's interesting because it does sound like in this book, he's saying, you know, I need a legacy, basically. Um, children are not um, well, made witchers commonly anymore, or uh, they're not made witchers at all. What mm-hmm. happens is that there's a, this, Kermorn is sacked in a battle and they're not able to make any more witchers. Um, so I was a little bit surprised by that, that as well, that he wanted this child. It's, it's, this is something that is pretty different from what happens in this show. Well, it's interesting because in the, in the in-between short story, what is it? Oh, what's the name of it? It's like the voice or something. So, the, yeah, the voice of reason. The voice of reason. Yeah. Um, it's brought up how Yennefer yes okay (laughs) it's brought up how yennefer wants a child and this is before he meets her though and he's securing a child which i think is interesting like because maybe he wanted one too yeah because witchers can't have children yeah do we know i don't i don't know that we actually know for sure that he hasn't met yennefer at this point maybe he hasn't oh i assumed he hadn't it's hard. Yeah, it's not really an order of anything. No, these the story's not really told in a in a specific timeline. Oh, no. Yeah. So it's possible that he has met Jennifer already. Um well, so maybe that's what he was thinking of. Yeah. And he claimed the law of surprise. Maybe. In this story, we meet Queen Calanthe, and I love her. She's also one of my favorite female characters. Uh, she is so clever and snarky and I love the way that she kind of manipulates things to make it work out the way that she wants it to even with her trying to get Geralt to to take care of the situation for her so that her plans don't get messed up um, she she kind of manipulates the situation as well because he says look I'm not I'm not a thug I'm not just gonna kill people for you that's not how witchers work and she says all right this is what needs to happen i need an alliance uh, between me and skellig and pavetta has to marry the right person mm-hmm. so she still makes it his responsibility mm-hmm. without it being i need you to kill with this person mm-hmm. which is uncomfortable for Geralt, but I love how he like delicately tries to remove himself from the situation, you know, yeah. it does not work. No, she's like, you know, most Kings, like most royalty would like kill you for that. Yeah. I love how he, his response back is like, yeah, but there was this one King, this one time who tried to do this to me last year. Do you want to know what happened to him? Like Zer- uh, Geralt is, uh, he, 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 he does not care. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know if it's bravery or recklessness or just um, 100% commitment to his own beliefs. But when someone tries to get him to do something like this, that he doesn't want to, he's very artful at sidestepping the situation and coming up with an alternative. The way that they talk about Pavetta in this story is gross. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So she's 15 and I know. Yep circumstances are different and young like people were married off at very young ages which is still disgusting but whatever so she is 15 and she is able to draw on this magical force and creates a cyclone in the building right and so they start talking about how she can't be a virgin because she's using the force which is gross yep I mean, well, let's talk about how old even is um, Urchion? Urchion. Urchion. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but he was old enough to save a grown man at the bottom of a valley. Mm Mm-hmm. So he's very much an adult. Plus, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm Mm-hmm. I don't like Urchion. He's very, I mean, even, you know, I know that, I don't know. I feel like I'm probably more, I don't know if I'm more sympathetic to Coante because I just like her because I'm a female or whatever. But I love when she was like, I'm not going to honor this. My husband basically gave my daughter away. Like, I do not care about your rules or this law of surprise or whatever i'm not i i don't care about this i birthed this child she's mine i'm not gonna give her to a stranger mm-hmm. and it is disgusting to me when urchion is like from the day of her birth by the power of the royal oath the beautiful povetta has belonged to me gross get out of here people are not property yeah and then he's all like oh um how about you lead your daughter your um and put her hand in mine and it's like oh no rude kalanta is still the queen that is so obnoxious that he said that to her i was so pissed don't you disrespect my lady disrespect my lady that way yeah uh, I did not like it and I did not appreciate it. So Blech. I'm curious how he met um Pavetta though, because she's pregnant. Like how did they how did that all happen? Yeah, I don't know. He's been sneaking around the castle somehow because so at the start of the story, the story, Geralt is trying to find out why he's been brought into the situation. And Haxo, who's the person who's helping him get ready, mentions this like mm, creature sort of sneaking around in the castle. We later make the connection that it's Dooney. He's the one that's been sneaking around so that he can see Pavetta. So I wonder, there's no way they met just organically. He 100% had to be scheming or scoping her out or something. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that information is ever told in the stories. Uh, this story, this short story also features the law of surprise, which was very confusing in the way that it was kind of presented in the TV show. A lot of people were confused about it. Um, 
the book, I think, does a good job of explaining how this sort of oath works. And I also like that the book includes the caveat that the child's surprise has to consent to the arrangement. So the person has to agree. That's not mentioned in the show. So Pavetta could have said, no, I don't want to go with you. And everything would have been fine. She does agree to go with him, with Doomy, because she loves him and is pregnant with his child. But that's something that's left out of the show that I think might have been helpful. You can say no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I liked that in the book. I haven't seen it in the show, but I liked that because I was like, oh no, how are they going to get out of this? Like, she's going to get kidnapped. And then it's like, ah, here he comes with this. Actually, she can say no. Yeah. <laughs> One time we're cool with the man going, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and Geralt knows this because he is a child surprise. Mm hmm. This was his arrangement when he was set up to become a witcher. So anything more to say about this one? Um, no. On to the next one. In the Edge of the World, which is our next story, we have Geralt. We have his friend, Dandelion. He is a poet and musician. And so they're actually friends and he kind of travels with him which is cool and we have torque he is really an elf but they believe like they call him the devil so those yeah. are our main characters yeah so in this story dandelion and Geralt are in posada and Geralt is looking for work no one has anything legit to offer so they leave and on the road they meet a man who says his village, the Valley of Flowers, or Dolblathana, is being tormented, tormented by a devil. And so although the devil actually helps them more than torments them, because it fertilizes crops and turns soil and scares off pets, uh, pests, but sometimes the devil does play pranks, like he fouls the well and he steals from them, and he chases some of the people in the village, and they, they just don't like him there. And so they want him gone. Um, despite the help he offers, um, he can't, they want him to leave, but they don't want him harmed either. So Geralt is told that he can't kill him. Um, they just want him removed. And so Geralt and Dandelion, they go out into this field where um, sacrifices and things have been left for, not sacrifices, but like offerings. Offerings have been left for the devil. And so it turns out the devil is very territorial and so it chases them out of the area after attacking them um and it's it ends up not actually being a devil but it's a sylvan which is like a goat creature so you think like mr tumnus but full goat still able to talk sentient like full conversation very understanding maybe wears a scarf i don't know but is the goat being and so Geralt devises a plan to trap the Sylvan. And the Sylvan's name is Torque. But Geralt's plans go awry. He is knocked unconscious. He wakes up bound and a captive of the elves. And it turns out that Torque, the Sylvan, 
has been helping the elves. He's been gathering supplies and seeds and um, tools to help them learn how to take care of themselves. And so Geralt and Dandelion uh, are now aware of this. They know that the elves exist in this area. They know that they're being helped, which means that to the, to the elves, they need to be put to death. Um, and so what we, we, what we now must wonder is, will Geralt and Dandelion escape? This story is the basis for episode two in, Steven, in, epi, in season one. Um, and this is the episode where Yaskier or Dandelion, so he's called Yaskier in the show, Dandelion in the book, first meets Geralt in the TV show. And this is the episode where the hit song, Toss a Coin to Your Witcher, is born. Uh, so this was my favorite of the stories that we've read. Don't know why, really. <laughs> um, but it was. I enjoyed it. Um, I really liked Dandelion. He cracks me up. He's funny. He makes, I think of Gilder, Gilderly Lockhart from Harry Potter mm-hmm. for him. I don't really know why, but just a sort of like bumbling, like kind of person who just is happy. That's just how I picture him. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what he's like in the show. Is he like that in the show? Um, He is pretty funny. And I would say, uh, at least on the outside, he doesn't seem to take things super seriously. He definitely has some serious moments in the show, but it's kind of silly um, looking for material for his songs because he's a bard, mm-hmm. very popular. I also um, really like we learn more about um, the issues that Girl is facing as a witcher right now because so he has to go south, further and further south to find monsters and find work um and it's interesting so when he gets to the first town they're like oh there's like you can find this magical creature over here and then there's this one and people who go over there never come back you know and he kind of brushes he's like okay 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 and he brushes it all off and when dandelion asks him about it he says because none of those creatures are left and then he's just like well except the bat like a bat is the only creature still around. Um, so they're all just making it up, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I highlighted that too. Um, Dandelion's like, why are we leaving? There's all of these monsters that they were talking about. And like you said, um, Geralt says people like to invent monsters and monstrosities then they seem less monstrous when they get blind drunk cheat steal beat their wives starve an old woman when they kill a trapped fox with an axe or riddle the last existing unicorn with arrows they like to think that the bane entering cottages at daybreak is more monstrous than they are they feel better then they find it easier to live i think one of the reasons i like this one the most is because it's a little more I don't know if like philosophical is the right word, but just a little deeper, Mm -hmm. you know, um, they're talking about 
human nature. We get a little bit of with the elves, you know, they are trying to like plant to save themselves. And Geralt is saying, that's not going to work. You have to like integrate yourself and everything. And this fort, like they're pushing back against it. And then Torque is funny. He's yeah. great. Yeah. This one is probably a little bit more thought provoking just because we, I mean, we have like human monsters in our world too. And I think we, you know, we use some bizarre um, creations like Bigfoot or ghosts or paranormal things like that. Um, those are our, our human equivalent to finding monsters but in a in a world where monsters exist I, I could see people being prone to inventing creatures to explain away bad behavior or things like that i don't know what our excuse is we're just trash garbage. yep we're just garbage um but just, oh. Oh, sorry go ahead um well this is a little bit about just kind of going to the monsters um in the chapter before this, like leading up to it, there's this speech about how monsters, even when they are around, like they don't want them to be killed anymore, right? The Baron won't allow a forked hill to be killed because it's the last of its kind. Um, it gives rise to compassion and nostalgia. The troll under the bridge, he's not considered a monster anymore. He's a relic and a local attraction. So it's interesting to see as well like, yes, they invent all these monsters, but the ones that are actually still around, because there are so few of them, they're more of like novelties than anything. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it shows how they've been able to kind of integrate themselves into human society as well, which obviously affects Geralt's ability to do their his job, because before he killed these monsters, everyone wanted them dead. Now that's not the case. Um, but you can kind of contrast this with Philavandral, who's the king of the elves. Um, Geralt challenges Philavandral to try to integrate because it's their only option that allows them to live. It's either that or go into battle against the humans and die. And so Philavandral would rather die than try to integrate with the humans and be treated as lesser. Yeah. Because they, they came before humans and the monsters were the same way. They came before every like the monsters have existed for a long time the elves existed before the humans and so the humans are considered uh, the humans are the encroachers here mm -hmm. they're the ones that have booted the elves out of their space and it's the same with the, the monsters too but the monsters have been able to integrate and the elves haven't because they don't want to lower themselves so he gives this good speech about integration, right? And about how the elves will die out. And then as their last resort, they'll come down and they'll storm the valleys, like, because it's better to die with honor than to starve to death, right? Like, or with that kind of notion in their head. <clears throat> and at first the what was his name the king philavandral yeah philavandral you know he says well only time will tell and i'll kind of be around to 
see it and you won't sort of thing. But then he changes his mind. He goes, I think you are right. I think that, um, and it says like, I'll see you again when we come to die with honor. I wish I, I wish I had the actual quote. Um, and said, don't let me down, which is really interesting. That, so what you were saying with like uh, the monsters becoming a novelty, to me, it's the same with like animals that go extinct too, right? So this is their land. They were here before we were, but humans like to overtake everything. And so we drive the animals off of their land and we hunt them and we destroy their numbers and decimate them. And suddenly then they're almost extinct and we decide, oh, we better protect them. Yeah, we, we better take care of these or they're all going to be gone why weren't you doing this from the start mm-hmm. uh i also think torque is really funny he charges them in his in their field and he throws like metal balls at them um and he he's he, he's sort of different from the other creatures we've seen that have been considered monsters up to this point so he's not trying to kill anybody he's just a prankster he's kind of inconvenient and annoying um, but helpful too. Like he'll plow your land, but he'll also chase people and throw rocks at them and stuff. You know, it's like I don't know. He's just kind of a turd. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end, when Geralt and Dandelion have been tied up by the elves, and the elves are planning to kill them, Torque is like, "No, no, no! I didn't agree to this. This wasn't part of the plan." Like, wait, these guys are kind of my friends. Like, I don't. Uh, you can't kill them. This isn't what we agreed to. Yeah, he he was he cracked me up, yeah. and his whole like ugh, 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 thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I like this one too. I like how some dandelion is like really trying to stand up for Geralt here in this situation too, and he has absolutely no business doing that it's so i mean it's cute though it's funny because he he um he's just he's very protective Mm -hmm. of um of Geralt, and we see Geralt being protective of of dandelion in this situation too i guess i mean the way that witchers are they're sort of conditioned to not have any feelings or anything like that so Maybe he could have this kind of laissez-faire attitude about death. Like, if it happens, it happens. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. You ready for the last wish? Yes. All right. Let's do it. So, of course, for our characters, we have our witcher. We have Dandelion. And we finally meet Yennefer of Venneberg. And she is a powerful sorceress. Yeah. So in this story, Geralt and his best bud Dandelion are out fishing one day when they happen to pull up a ceramic amphora. Dandelion opens it despite Geralt's pleas not to and releases a mighty pissed off gin. It attacks Dandelion when he's trying to make his three wishes and injures his throat and Geralt uses magic to get the gin to leave uh dandelion is vomiting blood at this time and is croaking unable to speak and so Geralt takes dandelion to a nearby nearby village in rind where an elf healer called jerevin 
tells him that only magic can heal his friend because it's a magical wound. Otherwise, he risks the possibility of losing the function of his vocal, vocal cords, which would be terrible because Dandelion uses his vocal cords to sing, to do his job. He's famous for it. And so he is told of a sorceress currently in Rend, which is Yennefer of Vangerberg, but is warned to be careful around her. She is not well-liked by the town officials. So Geralt finds Yennefer and she agrees to help Dandelion. She heals him, but the price that she exacts in repayment is steep. Geralt is jailed and um, nearly killed. And the price that Yennefer desires nearly results in the collapse of the whole town. So what happens? Does Geralt escape unharmed? All right, so this episode, this episode, this story is the basis for episode five in season one, which is the first time in both stories that in the book and in the show that Geralt and Jennifer meet. Um, and in this situation, the book and the show follow each other pretty well. So let's talk about this fishing expedition. Oh my um, gosh, I was cracking up. It was so funny. First of all, they catch a 12-foot catfish. What is this? Like... I'm trying to picture. So because my brother-in-law is like six foot two or something like that. And so I'm trying <laughs> to picture like two of him. And I'm like, I can't picture this. This is way too big of a catfish. What are you what what are you gonna do with that much fish? <laughs> I mean, are they talking about what they'll do with the skin and stuff like that? But dang, how are you even going to haul it? That's that's a big fish. And I just, I love Geralt being like, don't pull on the line. Don't do it. Stop. And Dandelion's just like, la di da 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 No, it's fine. It's fine. And then snap. Yeah. It's just, yeah, I think I'm going to pull out of it. No, don't. Yeah, I think that's what I need to do. I'm going to do that. <laughs> Oh, it's so funny. And then they find the genie's amphora container, whatever, and and Dandelion opens it and his wishes are absolutely ridiculous. They're just absurd. Um, Geralt, first of all, Geralt is like, don't open that. It's a bad idea. If it is a genie, it's not going to be a good situation. Dandy's like, you're just jealous. I'm going to have all the wishes to myself. I'm 100% <laughs> opening this right now. And so his wishes are, firstly, may Valdo Marx, the troubadour of Sedaris, die of apoplexy as soon as possible. Secondly, there's a count's daughter in Kelf named Virginia, who refuses all advances, may she succumb to mine. Like, these are the most short-sighted and ridiculous wishes of all time. <laughs> if I had three wishes, they would be super practical. Like, I want my student loans to be paid off, and I would like a nice retirement fund. <laughs> Not dandelion. Would you go for ridiculous wishes if a genie was like, what do you want? Do you think you wouldn't be able to help being practical about it? 
I would 100% be practical about it. I would make sure that I have my future lined up <laughs> perfectly so that I can retire nicely. I would probably wish for immortality or like not even immortality and more like the, like the choice to go when I want, like get to decide when I die. Yeah. Right. Um, so those would definitely be two of my wishes. Um, being well-funded until I choose to die. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I don't know. My last one might be something kind of like sappy, like, Oh, always having love in my life or something like that, you know? Yeah. Cause I'm, you know, codependent on people and need people to like me. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I just need people to like me. So that, you know, <laughs> I just, I feel like I couldn't help, but be really practical if I was given the option to choose wishes. Also, I would be super anxious about it because in every story that involves genies up to this point, the wish is never really the wish. Mm -hmm. it's always something horrible it never turns out exactly what you want it to be it's like oh I want to be immortal but you're going to be a miserable immortal or something right like oh I want my student loans paid off because you're dead or something like that yeah. <laughs> it's never what you actually want it to be someone yeah. should have learned a dandelion <laughs> I mean he's just like speaking without thinking at all it's just long think long term come on yeah no but i 100 get the vibe that this is how dandelion lives his life anyway uh -huh. no fear of the consequences mm -hmm. we are introduced to yennefer of vengerberg in this story so we finally meet yennefer which first off i hate that name why just name her jennifer okay <laughs> all right I hate that hate that what did you think of Yennefer I didn't like I don't understand their relationship yeah. like she wasn't super nice to him which fine like I just I don't they didn't have a lot of interaction to just for him to be like I love you now it's like what she seems kind of like mean and yeah. what what happens mm -hmm. How did, how did this happen? You know, I love enemies to lovers, but like, yeah, what? I know. So it is, their relationship is weird. And he meets her, she tricks him. He ends Ooh. up in jail with the crap being kicked out of him because of her. And he's okay. like, I love you. <laughs> I do really like that she used him to like, spank the guy who said bad things about her you know <laughs> like that she got revenge that way mm -hmm. on the men who like were mean to her mm -hmm. so I was a big fan of that but yeah so I was wondering like she tricks him basically possesses him I guess you know like makes him a zombie um no zombie's not right what no. would be just puppet she puts a spell on him and yeah okay. makes him a puppet he, he has to follow her commands yes okay and yeah and then he's like I love you yeah which I'm so maybe you know there's that Taylor Swift song where she says something about like men only, or not men boys something only want love when it's torture maybe she's right because maybe like so. maybe we just need to be mean to men and they'll love us maybe maybe, maybe. that's what it takes to yeah. trick them into doing our bidding that's it that's <laughs> what we want to do 
We must trick the men into doing the things that we want. Would you like men to love you? Possess them. Have them thrown in jail. Get the shit kicked out of them. These are the keys to love. <laughs> you know, it was the possession for me. Yeah. <laughs> when did you know you were in love? Well, when I woke up with no memory of what had happened the night before and then found out that she possessed me and basically made me into a puppet to do her bidding. I, that's when I knew. That's when I knew. This is the sorceress for me. <laughs> it's love. No, this is not. Is this is this the difference between men and women for writing romance? I, that's, I was wondering that too. I was like, is this, <laughs> is this what they think happens? I feel like Sarah J. Mass would have a huge problem with this. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's yeah. So he falls in love. No, no precursors. No, he met her five minutes ago and it's love. All right. Um, I, I do think that in some ways this Yennefer does seem harsher than the Yennefer in the show. And I think what makes it hard is uh, in the show, we are given Yennefer's backstory. Mm -hmm. We have the opportunity to develop empathy for the character because you have seen all that she has endured. In the book, she's just introduced and is awful pretty much right off the bat. So it's easy to, to dislike her because you don't know anything about her, really. And she starts out being awful. She only helps him because he brought her apple juice. Yeah. And even then she takes her time taking a bath. Yes. That bath scene was pretty funny. It's it was. interesting to me that she, he, he's very modest. Like this Geralt is very modest. He puts his pants on underneath his towel. okay but then she turns herself invisible and he's like watching water sluice over her naked form Mm -hmm. the suds clinging to her curves Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay man all righty there's something in this story that's a pretty major deviation from what happens in the tv show Um, Geralt ends up being the one that actually has the wishes. And so Yennefer is trying to harness the power of the djinn because she wants to be able to have children and um, she's going to use the genie's power to make that happen. And she can't because she thought Dandelion was the one that had the wishes and he has expressed all of his wishes. And she doesn't realize that it's actually Geralt. And so uh, Geralt goes into this situation to try to save her. And she's like, actually, I'm good. I don't need you. And he's like, no, 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 no. You do need me because I'm the one with the wishes. She's like, excuse you. I'm confused Um, as to how that happened. Yeah. I'm not really sure how. Oh, no. It's because so um, on the when the genie was released there is this stopper thing right it's this magical stopper um mm-hmm. and Geralt was the one that ended up holding it so that's why he has the wishes 
Gosh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so in the book, Geralt's last wish is to basically tie Yennefer to him. That's not a red flag. In it, yeah, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Yennefer is present and can hear him make this wish. So she knows it. And she's like, boy, do I feel sorry for you because I'm no peach. And this is very different from what happens in the book because Yennefer doesn't find out his last wish until later in the season. And is so I guess spoilers for season one, if you haven't seen the show, sorry, Vicki. Um, but in the, in the show, she doesn't find out until later. And she is furious because she thinks that the time that they spent together and the feelings that she have for him has for him are deep and meaningful when she finds out that it's because Geralt has tied himself to her and that basically invalidates all of the feelings that she said because she thinks they're not real mm -hmm. I can see that yeah it's a natural conclusion yes it is um so I think that that's sort of an interesting sort of deviation from the book to the tv show in this situation it certainly um adds some interesting depth to their relationship and to Yennefer's actions in the TV show. Um, I, yee, if someone wished for me to be tied to them, whether I liked them or not, I would instantly, instantly, I think, be like, mm, nope, <laughs> I don't like it. This feels suffocating. I don't know. Wee. But they're able to separate from each other. I mean, he's not around her. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. The, they separate from each other. It's just he kind of always has this longing for her. So <clears throat> I like that his first wish, right? He doesn't know it's a wish, but is he's um, telling the genie, what does he say? It's in a different language. And he thinks it's some sort of like exorcism or something, <laughs> but he's really yeah. telling the genie to like go fuck himself. Yeah. <laughs> And he can't make that wish happen because it's not possible. Uh, I love that. That was good because it was like driving the gin um, crazy. Yeah. And part of that, it's also great. So Geralt thinks it's like an exorcism, like yes. this priestess at a temple told it to him. And so he thinks it's this powerful statement, like um, this thing to exercise the demons. And it's actually just that like that's, that's well, why was the priestess even say, i want to know now more of the context behind what led a priestess to say that yeah what was going on yeah very curious about the backstory here we don't get it but the djinn doesn't end up killing everybody the power of it destroys the the tavern or the uh the hotel it's basically a hotel in it's an inn that's what it is the power of the genie basically destroys this inn where um, Yennefer is trying to uh, trap the djinn. And the story ends with Yennefer and Geralt basically just having sex. Everything's mm -hmm. fine. Um, Chereadin, the elf healer, is also kind of in love with Yennefer too. And he makes this comment to Geralt because he basically, he tries to warn him about Yennefer, but 
but it's a really crappy warning. I mean, he could have said more. I don't know. Um, but he makes an interesting comment to Geralt about Yennefer. And you, you, you included in our notes. Do you want to read it? Sure. So he says, it's almost as though you thought a scorpion were prettier than a spider because it's got such a lovely tail. Um, so he's saying, so like witchers do not get along with like wizards or sorcerers or anything like that, but he obviously is like drawn to Yennefer and this is what, um, oh, now I forgot his name. Um, Geralt or Trayden. Trayden, that one. This is what, um, Trayden is saying to, um, Geralt. Yeah. So I, I liked that analogy. Like, like don't forget, yeah don't forget she's still a sorceress yeah Geralt's like I see and acknowledge what you're saying and I'm gonna do what I want anyway because <laughs> she's pretty well isn't it mentioned though that she's it's an illusion anyway her looks it's not really an illusion um it's magic basically so uh, the the children that are taken in as sorcerers, Jennifer, prior to being altered by magic, was a hunchback. Okay. So she's been magic has been used on her to make her look like she does now. Okay. So it's no like reverting back into. No, she can't. Okay. She gave up. That's part of the uh, price to become beautiful to look the way that she does to become immortal and all of those things she gave up fertility okay. and that's why she's trying to i mean, she's doing basically anything that she can to try to have kids again uh, she gave up something and then realized later that it might be something that she actually wants she doesn't mm -hmm. she didn't like that her choice was taken away basically um and and that's part of the backstory that you get to see in the show you yeah, that's her transformation. You get to see why she is the way that she is and why she's mean. Yeah. It's really only alluded to in those in between chapters about what's going on um, with her and that she even wants a child. Yeah. What I like about the show is that they do take all of, they build the backstory for you. They take all of this stuff that's just alluded to and they bring it to life so you get to see it. You can have empathy for Yennefer because of what they do for her in the show. And that is sort of in part why I didn't love these books. I stopped reading after the Blood of Elves because I didn't love the way Yennefer and some of the female characters, and we've talked about this time, there's misogyny in these stories. I didn't love the way that the female characters were talked about and I do love what they do for them in the TV show. So it made it hard for me to continue with the books. All righty, last one. The last short story is The Voice of Reason. So we have The Witcher, then we have Dandelion as well. And we have Ninika, she's a priestess. We have Iola, who is a woman who was touched by uh, a goddess. She has the gift of prophecy. We have Talus, he is a soldier and a jerk yeah so those are the main characters in the voice of reason right 
um, this story, so all of the other short stories were told all at once, the voice of reason was divided. So a different chapter of each of this short story was told between the other short stories. So it's not delivered all at once. In this short story, Geralt is recovering from his Striga attack. So this takes place after the events of the first full-length short story that were given. Geralt is recovering after his Striga attack under the care of Nineka in the temple of goddess of Melitelli. She, Nineka has known Geralt for many years and she scolds him for being injured, claiming that his head is muddled, his instincts are impaired, and basically he needs to get it together or he's going to be killed. His, med his head is muddled, though, because he has been thinking of the sorceress, Yennefer. They aren't on the best of terms right now, and so he is troubled by this. Um, meanwhile, soldiers from the local town come to Nineke's temple and demand that Geralt leave because they're prejudiced against witchers, but Nineke refuses. Tylus, who is one of the soldiers, is very proud and his pride is wounded by Nineke and Geralt, and so he throws down a gauntlet, but the soldiers are made to leave. Dandelion comes to the temple and he and Geralt make plans to go south. One day uh, on the grounds of the temple, but outside of it, they are confronted by the guards and Geralt is given an ultimatum. The gauntlet was thrown. And so Geralt must either fight Talus or be hung. However, if he touches Talus with his blade, he will be taken prisoner by the guards. It's an impossible situation. So what will Geralt do? What did you think? Yeah, I liked the way, so when I, uh, first got it, I thought it was more like a timeline thing, right? Like this was happening. Uh, I wasn't really sure how the whole story was being told, you know? Um, and we never really do get clarification on that. Um, like what kind of the timeline is. So I was a little confused starting off with that because I wanted to put order, you know, like I wanted things to be in order. Um, but I liked, I thought it was a good way to tell. And like you get introduced to the characters slowly, sort of like we get introduced to Dandelion in these in between chapters before actually meeting him in the full short length story. We, Yennefer is referenced a few times before we actually meet her. And it's sort of like also dropping teasers for what's coming next. Mm -hmm which I enjoyed. Um, Nineke is the best. <laughs> She's really funny. Her insults are so good. <laughs> She's just like very snappy and snarky and like she's there to ha help Geralt, but it's not like a loving, sweet, motherly sort of help. It's like a get it together. At one point she says to him, don't call me mother. The very idea that you could be my son fills me with horror. <laughs> the, so in this story, and because of the way this is divided, it is kind of weird to talk about it. And we've referenced back to this a few times as we've sort of mentioned things. But we see more of the prejudice that, um, that Geralt faces as a witcher. He's in this temple literally doing nothing but healing. Mm -hmm. And guards show up and demand that he be removed. He's not there for monsters. He's not there looking for work. He has been attacked and is literally just trying to heal. And these people show up like, we don't want your kind here. Ah. 
And then again, references back, like I still don't totally underget, underget, understand the such extreme hatred like that towards witchers. Like I understand some prejudice and stuff towards it, but like this, like, oh no, they're just here, must get rid of them. Seems so exaggerated. Like, I don't know, it just seems extreme. Yeah. I guess. And makes me feel so bad for him. We also get the first mention of Siri. Her name is not said in this story, uh, but that's who it is. It's Princess Cirilla. So we get the first mention of Siri, Geralt's child surprise in chapter four of this story. He mentions her being born in May, which is also around Yennefer's birthday. So again, like you said, sort of some foreshadowing, some teasers laying the ground for what's to come in other books. So Iola is really interesting to me. <clears throat> Sorry, she took like a vow of silence. And, but she's also, um, like she can, she's, can see prophecy and stuff, I guess, through touch, right? That's what it seems like, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. So she doesn't talk. And then he ends up telling her the story about like his first monster, you know, and just like talking to her. And she's obviously not talking back or anything. But what I like about that is that so many times, because he's not that talkative of a person, he'll just like sit there quietly and they'll just tell him everything, yeah. you know? Um, and I just like that this was kind of reversed. He's with somebody who's completely silenced. And so there he is being super chatty. Yeah. Do you think it's interesting that a prophet, a prophesier, that's not a word, um, a prophetess? Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. All right. Would take a vow of silence. I wonder if that's like for convenience sake, like she literally just got tired of people asking their prophecies. <laughs> like, forget it. I'm not <laughs> I'm over this. Oh, I could see that. (laughs) That would be my motivation. Yeah. I think he, and he is super not into having somebody prophesize about him or go into a trance or anything like that. He's like, nope, not doing it. No. Yeah. And I guess we find out at the end why, because Iola does touch him, like they brush hands and she sees like all these horrible things, like this awful screaming and blood and death and, you know, all this awful stuff. And Ninika is like, don't leave. Like something bad's going to happen. He's like, I see it all the time. Like in my, like, it's fine. Bye. Yeah. It's like, wait, what? What just happened? What's going to happen? Yeah. Do you happen to learn any more about this in the show? Like, well, you said this isn't even in the show. Yeah. The short story. Iola, all of this stuff, Iola is not in the show. Nineke just appeared for the first time in season two. And she is pretty rad in season two as well. Um, so she does come up, but this specific instance where he's healing, that doesn't appear in the show. At least it hasn't. I don't know that it will. And in terms of this prophecy, no. There are some prophecies in the show, but not like this one. And I don't blame him for not wanting to know. Like, if this is the thing that you're going to be shown, I wouldn't want to know my prophecy either. Mm-hmm. And obviously, because of the nature of his job, he has to think 
I mean, whatever the future holds, it's not going to be great for him. Right. Right. People hate him and he hunts monsters for a living. The likelihood of his death being gruesome, painful, and bloody is very high. I think it's funny in a weird way. Not really funny, more just like, oh, really? Like the first page of this book features Iola's tit. <laughs> She's like, I, I mean, like he wakes up with tits in his face. Like, oh, because instantly I'm on guard. Like, mm-hmm. is this a monster? Are these monster tits? And I was thinking this is a trap because I couldn't remember what had happened. It's like, okay, I guess, I guess this is how we're going to start on page one. <laughs> okay. Viola's tits. Here we are. I also thought it was going to end up being some like siren or something like that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that was my, wasn't expecting it to just, you know, Oh, these are just be, just be normal tits. <laughs> <laughs> Thought there was going to be something about them. These aren't monster breasts; they're regular <laughs> breasts. Great. All right. So when Geralt and Dandelion are confronted by the guards, Geralt is faced with an impossible like it's just an impossible situation, you know. Um, and he's put in in another in another. Um scenario where he has to sort of, I mean, I guess you would call him an innovative thinker because he's put in these terrible situations and he's forced to come up with an out-of-the-box solution every time. So his options are you can fight Talus, um, and if you don't, then you'll be hung. And if you do fight him and you hurt him, we're going to put you in jail and you will also be hung. And so I love this scene because he is fighting with this obnoxious guy and he positions his sword. So that Talus ends up smacking himself in the face with his own sword, scarring and injuring himself. I mean, I would just felt so victorious when this happened. It's genius. Yeah, it was great. That's going to wrap up the voice of reason. Then that wraps up the book overall uh let's talk about overall thoughts yeah so i was surprised at like the sass and the humor in this yeah i didn't i didn't expect it at all um so i was pleasantly surprised by that um and i would have liked so you said though that witchers are like trained out of their sort of having feelings so I guess that makes sense but I would have liked more explanation of his feelings or something like what he's thinking like I know it's from you know his third point of view and everything but um just something like because we don't really ever know what his emotions really are Mm -hmm. in it um so I would have liked a little bit more of that. And I don't know if it's just because of the way it's written, because I'm used to reading books, you know, written by female um, authors, or if it's because it's so focused on action or what, that it was like that. But I enjoyed I enjoyed the book a lot and I enjoyed um, a lot of the dialogue and the banter. Um, so. I agree with you. It would have been nice. It would have been nice to have some explanation of his feelings. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, like he's just like, I will take the chat. Like, you know, I'm going to put in the law of surprise. Yeah. And it's like, okay. Why you do that? Yeah. Why? Why do oh, you, you love Jennifer? Why do you love her? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That would have, I think it would, it would have helped us I form maybe more of a connection to the character. Mm -hmm. Like I feel bad for Geralt, but I want to know how he feels when people are hateful to him. The Geralt in the book is much chattier than the one in the show. Like you said, he's sassy, he's snarky, he's kind of petty sometimes, and I love that. Um, and he he's more giving of just information about himself as well. So that's from from to me, it seems like that's pretty different from the way that he is portrayed in the TV show. Uh, especially in season one, it's just a lot of Henry Cavill going, mm -hmm. Fuck. Like he just growls and curses, um, which is funny. It's entertaining. Um, but I, I did see a clip and I think this is a good idea. I did see a clip of Henry Cavill saying that he wanted Geralt to have more meaningful dialogue in season two besides just grunting and cursing. And I think that's a good idea because it seems like it would be more true to Geralt's actual character. So I like that. I think it, it would make him more relatable as a character as well. I'm also very impressed by the amount of content that they pulled from the book to put into the show they they included a lot i see sometimes where people are like the book enthusiasts are pissed off about the way that they've done this show and i don't understand why because they pulled a lot also there were lots of the gamers that were pissed off about things as well and i haven't played the game so i don't i can't say anything about it with any sort of knowledge i did ask someone who has played the game like how it compares and he says the events that take place in the game happen way after all of this stuff so at like Geralt already has Siri and has trained her and she's like good she's good sis so I don't understand why the gamers are super pissed off about things in the show but I enjoyed the book yeah <laughs> all right so that wraps up the last wish Next week, uh, we're going into February. We're going to be talking about Signs of Cupidity. It is first in the Heart Hassle series by Raven Kennedy. So join us for that. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.